You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Carolyn Childers grew up in upstate New York, in a town so small it didn't have a traffic light. Her graduating class had a grand total of 40 students. Today, she's at the center of a network that connects 20,000 business leaders in the U.S. And guess what? There are 60,000 more on a waiting list. Carolyn is the co-founder of Chief, an all-women, members-only club that offers mentorship, friendship, and executive leadership coaching, practical advice from a curated peer group. Carolyn and Lindsay Kaplan founded Chief in 2019, its first venue, a New York City clubhouse in Tribeca. The co-founders say they felt it was getting lonelier as they moved up their own career paths. While they had supportive male colleagues, they were well aware that women have different experiences and different challenges at work. So they launched Chief to provide women this space for professional networking. The startup became a unicorn in March 2022 when its valuation reached $1.1 billion and it now has clubhouses in Los Angeles, Chicago and San Francisco and Chief launched in London in January 2023, its first international branch. Carolyn joins me now to talk about what Chief offers its members, why the notion that women can have it all is a trap, learning through failure, and why she thinks the waiting list is that long. Here's Carolyn on Out of Office. Carolyn, welcome to Out of Office. Thank you so much for having me. I was excited to join. Carolyn, there are many other private networking organizations out there. I don't know of one that has 60,000 people on a waiting list. <laughs> What's the appeal? What's going on here? Yeah, I, well, Chief is 
really building a network of the most powerful women in business. And I think that there are a lot of other professional networks, but there are there was this big white space that Lindsay and I really felt um, in our own careers of not having a community of other women who were more senior in their careers, who were managing people and um, mentoring and uh, were always that mentor in the room. Who do they go to for a community uh, and for peers? And we felt like that was really missing for ourselves. And that was what we wanted to go and do as we built Chief. Um, and so it was really clear to us, even from day one, um, we had just a small press release to say that we were launching Chief and had thousands of people join our wait list uh, pre-launch as we were kind of building this network really focused on senior executive women with the real mission of driving women into positions of leadership and keeping them there. When you say this came from a uh personal space. This is something, Lindsay, and you realized wasn't available to you as you were climbing the corporate ladder. Can you give me an example of a moment when you felt, you know what, if only I had another woman, I could speak to another senior woman leader. Do you remember any particular incident? I do. I actually remember, um, I didn't really realize the weight of what it felt, what, what it meant to be a senior executive women uh, until I was in those leadership positions. And I remember multiple instances of, you know, women on my teams or on other teams in the organization coming to me and saying, you know, it's so great to finally see somebody who is a woman in leadership at this company. Um, And I didn't even realize the weight of what that meant to other people. And it created for me this moment of, oh, that means I need to be really conscious of the type of leader that I am and the example that I am giving, knowing that people are looking at at me as that example. Um, And being able to uh, have a community that is also taking on those extra elements of, of, you know, defining what it looks like as a a woman leader um, for a lot of the next generations is something that I think is really valuable for us to be able to talk about, like, what does leadership look like for us? How do we make sure that we are showing up in the right ways for our uh, teams? Um, And that's kind of where it started for me. And then it continued to, uh, you know, as you are the only woman in a lot of those rooms, there are, um, it's just a really lonely feeling of not being able to um, have the, the type of conversation that you can have with people that just are more like you that are handling circumstances and situations that may not be felt by everybody in that room. It's so interesting, though. I mean, you can have great bosses who are male, right? And you feel, yes, I can talk to them about anything and everything. But there is something different about having a female leader, isn't it? It is. It is. I think, you know, um, there is that saying of you have to uh, see it to be it. Um, And I think really inspirational to people to be able to see um, whether it's women, whether it's people of color, all of those things that like when you see somebody who looks like you in a position of 
power and a position of leadership and a position of influence, it really opens up for you the idea of what is possible for yourself. Absolutely. Um, Obviously, there was a space in the market and there was a need for this because you had women flocking to sign up uh, to chief or to be considered for membership to to chief. I'm also wondering whether the timing was just right. You launched in 2019. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, timing was bad from the pandemic point of view, but we'll get to that later. But yeah. in terms of almost like a reckoning in the workforce, right? This was after Me Too. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think? Do you think that the political environment really played into this and there was just much more of an awareness uh, and, you know, were women just ready to be more vocal and say, yes, we need this? Yeah, I think that there was more of the shift from a business perspective that really opened up the opportunities for for Chief. I think that over the few years before we launched Chief, you were starting to see companies really um, focus on DE&I in a much different way making sure that like you actually had representation in leadership, that they were supporting um, that uh, diversity uh, in their workplace, that they were really rethinking policies in a new way. Um, And I think that that shift in business as business over this period of time has realized that, that they need to have a greater role in some of the societal shifts that they want to see. Um, and as employees have been more vocal of well, what they want their businesses to be and the values that they need to hold, I think those shifts are the shifts that really allowed for something like Chief to come into, into existence. Um, you know, the way that our um, business works it is, we are now 20,000 of the most powerful women in business. And um, they, uh, we, our, our membership is these women, but the vast majority of them are sponsored by their companies. Their companies are saying, we really need to support these women executives. Um, this is a great way to be able to give them that support. And it is because companies are, had really started to see that shift um, and have that shift internally that I think something like Chief could really come to be. Um, it's interesting, though, of like, yes, that kind of wave has allowed for something like Chief to start. But I actually think, I mean, you referenced the pandemic. There's, you know, the the impact that that had for us as a business of we were a fairly in-person model where, you know, we, um, one of our core services is what we call actually core. It's at this core group model that meets on a monthly basis. There's an executive coach in the room. You can work through your greatest personal and professional challenges. That was all happening in person. And with the pandemic, everything had to shift over to virtual. So we had our own kind of um, pivots that we had to make as a business model. But I also think the shifts that happened over the last few years um, that created an even greater need for chief. Now women were not just, you know, trying to um, 
balance the typical work-life balance where at least you had a school system that you could tap into uh, to help um, and, and have your kids in school while you're trying to go to work. Now you were taking on that extra burden yourself. And um, it's just been amazing to see how much of the last few years has really impacted women in the workplace. Uh, you know, the latest McKinsey study showed that, you know, for every woman that is being promoted to a director, two are dropping out of the workforce. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how much um, the last two years has really impacted the progress that we've had here. And it's going to take over a hundred years before women get to equity in leadership. Tell me a little bit about yourself. You've founded a company that's unique. Um, You've had senior executive uh, leadership positions in other startups. Uh, You were uh, started off in investment banking earlier on. Then you decided to take a plunge and do something completely different. It was a risk. What makes you a risk taker? I, I, I don't know that I've ever really defined myself as a risk taker. I, I like it. I'm going to go with it. Um, <laughs> uh, I actually think, you know, so, so often you hear the stories of entrepreneurs where they talk about the lemonade knew, stand. Yeah. I was going to yes. be an entrepreneur from day one. And, um, and I think it was very much the opposite for me. Um, there's a lot of entrepreneurship in my family, um, probably most notably, you know, my grandparents on my mom's side had a travel agency that they started and ran. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. you think about a travel agency, those are some hard times over the last several years. Um, yeah. uh-huh. And so it was never something that, you know, I looked at and said, oh, gosh, that's the dream. Um And therefore, I started my career very much in big companies um, and thought that was the the way to go. And um, I think it it really wasn't until a good friend of mine had gone to a startup um, and they were looking for a position um, to be filled. And he was like, you should just come in and talk to them. And this was Mark Laurie and Vinny Barrara who were running, um, Quincy at the time it was just diapers.com and they were looking to launch soap.com. And I went in and met with them and just got captivated by their, their vision, by their energy. And as soon as I made that shift into startups, I knew it was the right place for me. I am somebody who's all or nothing um, in in the way that I operate. And so uh, it was just this place that was, you were focused on the most important things. It was like a place of 80-20, where like that last 20% that in big companies you could spend years focused on, um, that just wasn't the speed with which I wanted to operate and was, was good at operating. And I think that kind of pulled me into this place of startups. And then I knew for myself that I would never, um, really be happy unless I had given it a full go, um, and being an entrepreneur myself. And it wasn't until, the idea of chief came around that I, that, that I found something that I mm-hmm. knew that I could dedicate my life to. And I think it's really important when you are, um, an entrepreneur that you truly have passion for what it is that you are building because you just dedicate so much of, of your life and your heart and your mind to it. 
Tell me a little bit about how Chief works. You talked about the core, which is this group of 10 women who meet once a month with an executive coach. What do these women get out of these sessions? Yeah, I mean, I do think that um, part of the feeling of loneliness, of being the only person um, that is like you in a room, is that it's really hard to have confidential conversations about the things that are um, that you're struggling with. Um, and I think for a lot of people, it is not a, you know, gendered list of challenges that they're working through. It is the classic challenges that come with leadership. Um, and just being able to have a group of people that you can really work through that with, it is all of the, um, challenges that come with managing people. And there are many, Um, and especially in an environment like today that every few months, there is a massive shift, merging shift of what that you have to navigate a business and a team through. Um, And the pace of change that is in business right now is just higher than it's ever been. And being able to have a group of trusted people that you can have a confidential conversation with um, is really invaluable in moments like this. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com. Chief is all about cultivating leadership. Tell me about your own leadership style and what is the one quality you most respect and admire in a leader? Hmm. Yeah, Um, I think that... Everybody needs to find their own, you know, authentic leadership style. And um, I think there's a lot of times that there's uh, the very charismatic leader who can, um, you know, uh, stand in front of the crowd and motivate them and inspire them. Um, I don't think that is my leadership style. <laughs> I hope I can be inspiring. I think. But I actually think I am much more of the leader who really anchors in like just trust and reliability and consistency. Um, And that, you know, I think what I really bring to the team, um, Ken Chenault, who is on our board, talks all the time about like the role of a leader is to define reality and uh, inspire hope. Like that is like the role of a leader. And I think in order to do that, you have to really be anchored in trust with your team that like what you are saying is both is smart and logical, is authentic and true, (laughs) Um, and that you can really be depended on to help them navigate through, again, a business environment that is changing on a really regular basis. Um, So for me, I think the like foundation of any leader has to like truly be anchored in trust Uh, without that, no amount of um, uh, showmanship (laughs) is going to, is going to overcome it. But it's hard to build trust, isn't it? I mean, that, that is the goal. 
what does a leader need to do um, to build trust? How do you create an atmosphere of trust? Yeah, um, I actually, I always uh, think of uh, Frances Fry, who is a Harvard Business School professor. She actually has like a full formula for trust um, oh. that, um, you know, Frances had um, worked with a number of companies as they were going through you know, major cultural changes that need to happen. She joined Uber when they were going through um, all of their uh, transitions as, as, as Travis was um, also leaving and trying to, like, how do you build the culture of trust in places like that? Um, and for her, it actually, like, boiled down to three elements, um, which is uh, logic of, you know, you have to make sure that you are a leader, that people understand why you're making the decisions that you are making. They believe that they are the right decisions. You can communicate what those, um, why these are the important decisions. Uh, the second piece of it is empathy that people feel like you have their best interests at heart that, you know, um, that you are an advocate for them. Uh, and the third is authenticity, that people truly believe that what you say and what you do matches what you believe. Um, and I do believe that, you know, all three of those are really important elements. I, I kind of think there's a fourth that I, that I tend to think is missing from that, which uh -huh. is that idea of just consistency and reliability that like they have the that the leader has the grit that will like get you through um hard times and good times and every company is going to go through hard times i think we've all seen that over the last few years whether it's the pandemic whether it's the macro environment that we are facing right now but I also feel like these are huge opportunities. Um, I think these are the moments where leaders are truly defined, where brands are truly defined. Like what you do during the hard times is actually what defines you as a company and as a leader. And I also think that there are huge opportunities to learn because I don't think I don't think you can learn anything through success. I think it is actually really hard to figure out what is the driver for your success. There's so such an ability to like misattribute what success is really being driven by. Um, and it's really only when you fail that you have this opportunity to say like, okay, that didn't work. Therefore we can find the thing that does work. Um, and so I think it's a, a really important time as, as, every company right now is really facing those headwinds to both learn as a leader and learn as a company in a really important way. So can you give me an example of a time you've learned through failure? Yeah. I mean, I think that um, there is uh, quite a lot of things that have continued to shift for, for chief over a period of time. And, um, you know, I think for, for us, um, there is such a, um, really rich, amazing community that is a part of chief that are almost co-creating so much of what chief is, um, you know, our members are, are just amazing at the leaders that they have become, uh, and are becoming and just have such enthusiasm for helping each other out. Um, and I think our biggest failures have been when we have not 
created the right environment for them to be able to create within the within the structure of chief. You know, we have members who are leading groups of um around social impact. We have leaders within chief who are helping each other find boards. And in many ways, there's this, this tension that we always feel of like, well, should we be running all of that? Or how much should the community be doing? And any time that we have stepped too far towards, you know, um, us controlling versus allowing the community to create with us has always been a huge learning for us. Um, and I think it's what makes Chief really special is how much every um, member of our community just really is inspired by this mission and wants to support each other. You know, Carolyn, when I get together with some girlfriends who who work, the conversation invariably comes down to what I suspect sometimes happens at your core group at Chief. You know, you talk about the work-life balance, you talk about how much to lean in, how much is of that is practical and not. So I have to ask you, you know, there's always various schools of thought when it comes to women in the workforce, those who believe in the fact that you have to lean in to get ahead, those who say, no, no, you can't have it all. Where do mm. you sit? Mm. I I actually believe, um, I, th- I think the idea of can women have it all is, is kind of a, a trap of making women believe that they should have it all is kind of trapping them to believe that they need to do it all. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that the, uh, you know, idea that women so often are taking the unpaid labor of the household, of the corporation, of all of those things, and kind of masking it under the idea of like, you can have it all, just lean in and and, and do these things. Um, is furthering that um, idea of of women taking all of that unpaid labor on themselves. Um, And I think it's really important that uh, change happens across so many different dimensions um, that, you know, from a policy perspective, whether it's, you know, paid leave that needs to be, you know, universal for us um, in the U.S., whether it's policies at companies that help to really acknowledge some of the um, extra work that comes from unpaid labor in the workforce, um, in the home where, you know, it would be great if schools started to call fathers as much as they called mothers. <laughs> wouldn't um, that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> And I think it's so important to have those shifts because when you say like, it would be great for women to have it all, oftentimes it means they're just taking on more and more of the unpaid burden. Um, And I think there needs to be a shift towards instead of women trying to have it all, actually women distributing it more to other people. I couldn't agree with you more. Carolyn, who has been the greatest influence on your life? Hmm. Uh, I think one of the reasons that, you know, I was really inspired to do something like chief, um, you know, my family, I'm the youngest of, uh, three girls. So I have two older sisters. Um, and I do think that being able to see them as they have gone on their journeys and the women that they have become and the professional successes that they have had, um, was really 
an inspiration for me. And they continue to be the people that I call. Um, you know, my sister is the chief people officer at Harry's. She's often a very first call for me when there are things that I'm going through. Um, and being able to have that network has been invaluable for me as I've not only seen what was possible, but to then really have that support network as I'm going through it. Um, it's partly what made me want to build something like chief to really do that at such a larger scale. <clears throat> and so for me, it's always been my family that has been kind of the, um, rock on which, uh, I've been able to, you know, take some of this risk now that I have officially, you know, embraced my risk taker. <laughs> uh, good. You should. <laughs> so I'm one of three daughters as well, except I'm the, I'm the middle, um, middle daughter. Your parents obviously have raised three extremely driven girls. What was your childhood like? What was the atmosphere like at home? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a in a really small town in upstate New York. Um, we actually had like one traffic light. <laughs> actually, no we did not have a traffic light until I left. Now we have one traffic light. Um, so super small, small town. Um, how many I, how many people did you have in this town? Um, I don't know what the total town was, but my graduating class of public school was 40 people. <laughs> That's so small. Yeah. Very small. Yeah. And I think that my parents, um, you know, it was a great place to grow up. You know, I think it actually it had a great school system. It was right outside of Ithaca, New York. So you had the universities right there. Yeah. Um, so it was a, a great environment to grow up in. But I think one of the things that my parents really did was they let us just uh, experiment and try in all things. You know, my, my, Mom was really big into music. And so I played um, piano and saxophone growing up. My dad obviously loves sports. We would every weekend be on the road for a travel team. And I think for, for them, I think they just wanted to continue to expand um, our worldviews of, you know, what um, things we can achieve and interests we can pursue, knowing that we were growing up in, in you know, a, a smaller town. Um, but probably the most important thing that they did, you know, I, I go back to what I talked about of like the things that I really value in a leader is that reliability and consistency is like, that is my parents to a T, you know, uh, I think about, um, you know, for me, I, I was an athlete growing up and um, I remember one time after a track practice, uh, I was like, I had been uh, trying to do high jump. This is a really random story, but trying to do high jump. And um, I kept knocking the bar because I was like scared of, of, of falling on it. Yeah. And my dad came to pick me up and we stayed behind and he spent, you know, an hour with me just like going through it again and again. So that, you know, I got over kind of that fear of landing on the bar. Um, and that's the environment that I grew up in of, of having such a supportive environment around me that like really consistently showed up and put in the time with us to help us achieve our dreams. Chief is expanding. I know you're launching in the UK in 2023. Mm -hmm. How's that going and where are you going to next? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think that what you referenced at the beginning of this is that what's amazing is that uh, there has been just such interest in in joining the chief community within the U.S., where we just launched nationally at the beginning of 2022 and internationally. And that's what's really driving this wait list is there's a lot of people in locations where we're not yet. Um, And as we were thinking about um, building the most Uh, the network of the most powerful women in business. How could you not be in the UK and London um, as such a powerful hub of business? Um, And so we're really excited to launch there. We officially launched at the beginning of this year. um, And it's been just kind of amazing to see that community come to light. And that is our ambition is to be, you know, the network of the most powerful women of business. Um, And to us, that means in all of the places where, you know, businesses are um, the the centers and, and hubs. So. And Carolyn, this podcast is called out of office. What's your favorite thing to do when you're not in the office? (laughs) Um, so, uh, I actually, uh, my daily routine, um, is well, when I'm a lot, when I'm able to, um, is I actually really love to get out and go on a bike ride every single day. Um, and it is actually like quasi active and quasi meditative because I put the podcast as I'm riding. Um, and it is this moment that like gives me, it's always a business podcast. So it gives me like inspiration as a leader and as a, you know, uh, for the business at the same time that, you know, you're getting the endorphins running. Um, and it is by far the, one of the most sacred times of my day is being able to have those moments to go and, and, and ride and be inspired. And have a little bit of me time. Exactly. (laughs) Carolyn, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you. I really enjoyed the conversation. That was Carolyn Childers, co-founder of Chief, and I hope you enjoyed our chat. I find it so interesting to hear different views on whether women can have it all, should have it all, or need to have it all. And I agree with Carolyn, it's a real trap, right? I don't know if anyone really needs to have it all. So that's Out of Office for this week. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Bloomberg.com, and of course, the Bloomberg Terminal. This episode was produced by Yang Yang. I'm Malika Kapoor. Stay well. And as always, thank you for listening. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.